John 6, 32-40. Jesus said to them, Why truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always gives us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and yet, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. The second reading is from John 4, 13-14. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I gave them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now the great Bible reading from Johnny Fan. Thanks very much. Got a great voice, Johnny. Nice, what they say is nice resonance in it. Nice deep resonance in your voice. We may need to throw a bit of light because I'm going to preach down here. There's no escaping me tonight. may need to uh, do something about putting some more light on my face so people can delight in this. <laughs> All right, very good. Um, over in the month of January, I like to preach series on Jesus. And so if you look back and track back over uh, what I've done since I've been here, I've predominantly focused on Jesus. And the reason is this. If people are coming along and they're looking for a church, I want them to know that we're about Christ. I want them to know about Jesus. I want them to be presented with Jesus. If people come once, I want to give them a good takeaway meal about Jesus so they can go out and learn about it and live about it and make that happen. So that's been my pattern. It's going to be the continuous pattern for this particular month where we're looking at the promises of Christ in John's Gospel. The promises of Christ in John's Gospel. The hardest thing about that was narrowing them down to just a few. Uh, If you've not bathed in John's Gospel as a Christian, I mean seriously read it, meditated on it and worked it through in your soul, you need to do that. It is vastly different to the other Gospels. It's written from a different standpoint. It's written from a different purpose. And there are aspects and nuances in John's gospel that are completely uh, unique to that. And so you need to not only have the gospel outline of of Matthew, Mark and Luke, but in John you will find um, a very deliberate and, and intentional glimpse of Jesus and an emphasis of Jesus that the others don't necessarily um, have in them in the same way that John does. And so we're looking at the promises of Christ. In John's gospel, he's the satisfier of our souls. He is the satisfier of our souls. I believe as we sit here tonight, I think every single one of us has a deep longing to have a satisfied soul. I think as, as 
if we were to reflect and say, in, deep in my heart, in my soul, in my very essence and very being, I want, I want a sense of satisfaction. And as we sit here tonight, do you feel that sense of satisfaction? How satisfied is your soul? How deeply and profoundly have you found that wellspring that Johnny read to us about the woman at the well? And Jesus said, if you drink this water, you're going to be thirsty again because it's just, it's just water out of a well. But if you drink the water that I will give you, it will well up in your life as a wellspring. So everyone wants to have a satisfied soul, deepest longings met. Um, I thought, what did people turn to for that? So I've put a few things up there. I thought about all the words I can think that end with ism. And then I cheated on the last two and couldn't think of anything that ended with ism. So here's the kind of things uh, that people look to. And I'll explain them as I go along. So it could be an English lesson as we head along through this. Uh, people look to hedonism. Hedonism is anyone doing philosophy at uni, anyone doing that? Anyone want to venture in on hedonism? It's people with big heads. It is the study of people with enormous cranii, uh, big wobbly heads. No, it's not. Johnny's looking confused. Hedonism, sorry, buddy. The hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, right? It is the pursuit of pleasure and a sensual self-indulgence. So there's a sensuality and indulgence, a self-centeredness about that. That's hedonism. Materialism is the accumulation of things or the finding purpose in material things. Um, my sister-in-law was telling me of a friend of theirs and they used to be like this in a part of a young adult's kind of congregation, followers of Jesus. But as they've gone on, they have become public and unashamed materialists. They are very, very overt. My philosophy and my, uh, you know, it's out there. It's in the public forum. I am a materialist. I believe in the material world. I believe I want to extract those things I, I want out of the material world. So they are unashamedly materialistic. Some people think that materialism is the accumulation. More is better. And so you see sometimes you walk into people's place and they've got a whole lot of stuff. Right? You've got a whole lot of stuff. They've just got all bits and pieces everywhere. And then so what happens is there's a, a street clean-up and it all goes out. Then their bits and pieces become somebody else's bits and pieces. I have a garage full of bits and pieces. The people in my family think we ought to own, and I think not on your life. They don't go past the garage door in this place, baby. And so what... We <laughs> And so I have a garage full of this repurposed, re-loved, rehoused thing, and I tell you what, it's going out on the next cleanup just like it did on the previous cleanup. Sometimes they think more is better, but sometimes they just think better is better. So it's not about the accumulation of the massive, but it's just that I want the best that there is. And uh, recently in Sydney, a new property record was established where somebody bought the penthouse apartment at Barangaroo. You know where Barangaroo is, down in the Darling Harbour region. Somebody bought the, the brand new penthouse in the Barangaroo. It is three stories. There are three levels in the penthouse. They paid $140 million for it. Absolutely new price. $140 million for the penthouse at Barangaroo. 
I said to my wife, you shouldn't have spent that money. I said, well, how am I going to survive, you know, and all that. And she said, well, I just love you. And then I woke up and realised that it was a business from, from overseas that bought it. And yet this week on Tuesday, there's a little fellow that comes in here from time to time. He's got a beautiful dog, loves his dog. He's a life struggler. He does life tough. And he comes in here and the conversation never goes for more about 10 minutes than he kind of would like some financial support for whatever it may be that he would like support for. And he came in here and his, his life is never good for him. And I said to him, how's your life going? Expecting the never good and could you give me some money? And I said, how's life going? And he said, great. And it's like he's been coming in for years and it's like the first time. He's periodically goes from interstate, turns up here. I said, what do you mean great? And he said, well, I've got my dog. He loves his dog. A beautiful, uh, large dog. And he said, I've got a place to live. And I said, wow, where's that? And he said, I've, there's a, a man that's been in the military and he's got um, something in his backyard and I live there. And he proudly flicked open his phone and showed me the photo of where he's living. It is basically a garden shed. I couldn't see any windows at the front. There may be a window at the side. He's living in a garden shed. And yet he said he's the happiest he's been in his life that he can ever remember. You see, friends, there's the extremes. He's really happy with what we would consider is barely minimum survival standard stuff. And who's, who's going to be happier? What is happiness? How much do we depend on materialism, the, uh, our interaction with material things? Asceticism, uh, that is the less is more. This is the strict self-discipline. These people are, uh, are all about self-denial, all about self-denial. And sometimes in Buddhism, you'll see strains where people want to divest themselves of relationships and goods and get right down into the fundamentals of just being in your space wherever you are. So this rigorous, self-disciplined life. Then there's environmentalism. Uh, on the 20th of December in our city, uh, some environmental activists dressed as Christmas elves glued themselves to the road in Pitt Street in the city. And that was, I'm thinking, I'm glad it wasn't a day like yesterday because they might have just, they could have heated up there. That would have, been, that would have been bad if it was 45 degrees or 47 degrees in the road temperature and if somebody never sort of peeled the elves off. Because people are, people are passionate about there. It's interesting that Greta Thunberg, and even just the mention of her name, gets either applause or completely like you want to duck because there's a lot of eggs coming at you. She's a very divisive environmental person. People are very polarised by her. But as Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Uh, and now we even see when you go to climate protests, you now see what instead of just um, kind of this, you know, a stereotypical kind of protest, we are now seeing a swelling of middle-aged and older people going to protests that are very concerned about their children and their grandchildren's world. And recently in the UK, in September, over on the road near Dover in the, in the UK, a 91-year-old male and an 83-year-old woman were recently and happily arrested 
because they were glad to be there and glad to make a statement and quite happy to fly the flag for environmentalism. So some people, these are the kinds of things where people are looking for purpose. These are the kind of things where, where people are committed to. This is what they think will satisfy their souls. Hedonism, materialism, asceticism, environmentalism. And note this, as we go through this, there are strains of truth in this. There are, there are threads of golden threads of truth in all of these things that are worth pondering about. What is the truth in these things? How, how, how much does it, does it make us think about things? Then there's the isolationism. And they love to make television shows about this on Channel 94 where people go and live off the grid. They want to be carbon neutral. They want to turn their back on a corrupt world. They want to leave as small a footprint on this earth as possible. Then there's activism. People who are just keen to get out there and make a difference. And I tell you what, you know, that's not a bad thing. People want to get out there and shake something up, make something happen. Uh, so that some people are just incredibly uh, engaged in activism of various kinds. Then there's eroticism, this sexual indulgence. And of course, we've seen the Jeffrey Epstein episode, uh, found dead in custody. And uh, his huge web of deception and exploitation of young people has even cast a net and cast a shadow over a very prominent figure. And we know all about that. And then there's substance use and substance abuse. Now, in the Bible, I'm not sure about how well do you know your Bibles. Who's the first person that got drunk in the Bible? It's got to be another, you're not allowed to be over 30 and answer this question, so you... This, this group here can be quiet. Who was the... F- Isaac? No, before Isaac. Who was the first person to get drunk in the Bible? We're before Isaac, so wind back. We're in the book of Genesis. Noah. Noah. He, he makes this glamorous appearance in chapter 6. And then, you know, he's, the Bible says in 1 Peter, he's a righteous man. And he follows God and he builds this giant floating zoo. God brings the animals to him and he saves his family. He's got great faith. He endures ridicule and all that. But when he gets out and when, when the ark eventually lands, ark just means container. It doesn't mean boat. Right? That's why you can have the ark of the covenant. It's not a boat. It's a container. This was a floating zoo. And when the ark finally found its rest and he went out there and the Bible says he planted a vineyard. And guess what he did when he planted his vineyard? He, got, he just got stuck into it. He just got right involved in the old vineyard and he was as drunk as a skunk. So I'm not sure if it was a Shiraz crop or a uh, Pinot Noir or uh, you know, a Chardonnay grape. I'm not sure what he planted, but he certainly he plowed it in, into the ground and he plowed it into his belly. And he got drunk, the Bible tells us. And since some of the, oh, this, we're living in a world where people are getting drunk. It's been happening since the days of Noah. Hello, open up the Bible. It's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. It will go on until Jesus returns. And so people do that. People use and abuse substances. So with Noah, we, of course, we knew he was a carpenter, but we didn't know he was also somebody who got plastered. Um, the... Uh, so in younger, away from the dad jokes, away from the dad jokes, we've got recreational use of cocaine, prominent, even prominent sportsmen. We've got people involved with ice and methamphetamine, you know, the same thing. It's sweeping through some of these country towns. If you're a person that knows anything about little country towns, there's a massive ice epidemic out there. 
We've got pill testing. We've got MDMA and ecstasy, ecstasy being tested at uh, places, people involved in that kind of thing. Uh, we've got the hotly debated issue of cannabis and what are we going to do with that and is there medicinal use for that or is it always that? Then words that I can't think of any isms with uh, was just comfort and love. Uh, I think in Australia we just want to be comfortable. How many people here will... I want, I, want to, I want to be comfortable. How many people here like to be comfortable? Okay, six of us. How many people want to be uncomfortable and have an uncomfortable life and an uncomfortable surroundings? How many people want to be uncomfortable? None. So we all want to be comfortable, don't we? How many people now want to be comfortable? All right. We want to be comfortable in Australia. We live in a comfortable country. We live in a blessed country. It's an incredible country. And love, well, you know, I think there's something tied up in the human heart that we'd like to make a connection with somebody else. There are golden threads. They're not everything in this. I'm not saying it, but these are the things that people completely and utterly overrun their lives with as if the purpose of life ends in these things. But there's truth in these things. It's, there's nothing wrong with having some pleasure in life, some hedonism, as long as it's in a godly way, some having some pleasure. There's nothing wrong with having some stuff. Yeah? That's an okay thing. Asceticism, a bit of self-discipline, a bit of rigorous self-denial is not a bad thing in your character. You know, environmentalism. Friends, we've got to do more to manage our planet because it's the first thing that God told people to do. Tend the garden, right? First thing. God made people, put them in the garden. He said, look after the joint. Mm, how are we going? Mm? Yeah. Isolationism. Living off grid, I can understand that, people's concern for things. Activism. Sometimes, you know, I was talking to a middle-aged person who's, uh, who's 60 and they said, the next time there's an environmental protest, I think I'm going. Member of our church. Oh, they're thinking, first time they've ever done anything like that, we're talking about a quiet, introverted person. They think, I'm going to get off my butt, I'm going to make a stand for something. I'm going for it. Bit of activism, eroticism, uh, which is the whole sexual thing. But you see, it's, sex is a God-given gift for people to enjoy and to celebrate in the context of marriage. That's where it belongs and that's where it's to be enjoyed. And it is good in its context, in its God purpose. Substance use, I think with that, the, the correct use of medication and the sober principle of moderation. Sober moderation. Can I have an amen for that? I didn't think so. <laughs> yes. And of course, having, having a comfortable surround is not a bad thing. And of course, who doesn't want that? So, you know, we know that God has richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment in 1 Timothy 1, 6, uh, 6.17. So we do that. Some people, of course, turn to religion. They're the religious stats. They're a bit old, but it gives us a sort of a gist of what's happening out there. Where are people satisfying their souls? They're trying these things. They're trying various religions. We see that Christianity is uh, still reigning big. Islam is there. Then we've got irreligion, which is the absence of or the indifference to or the rejection of religion. That, I think, is growing in Australia. I think secular humanism, godless secular humanism, is a growing thing. And if you drill down into the McCrindle stats, I think you'll find that that is correct. Then there's Hinduism, Buddhism. I was talking to a Buddhist that was here this morning. They don't normally come to church. They're here through other circumstances and they're Buddhist. That was really interesting. I said, what did I say about Buddhism? Was it correct? And we had a discussion about what Buddhists believe. 
folk religions, other religions and Judaism. So people are, people are, are, are being involved in that. And you know what? People are still radically fundamental. People are still radical. Uh, fundamentalism is alive and well and living in our world. How many people understand that? People are really fundamental. Some people out there are pretty radical in what they believe. And we as a nation, we're trying to work out what do we do with the ISIS brides? What do we do with those Australian citizens that have gone over, been involved in the ISIS thing, their partners have been killed, but they are Australian women with Australian children living in foreign camps? Do we bring them back? Because they've been very radical. They've been involved in a fundamentalist um, religious outbreak. What do we do with them? And the country is wrestling with that because fundamentalism and absolute fundamentalism in that way is uh, that. So people, people are looking to all the isms, trying to find satisfaction. People are finding it in their religion. And here's something that I think is an important diagram that I come back to from time to time. And let me explain to you. Um, it was by a guy that was very popular late last century as a guy called Larry Crabb, a Christian psychologist. And he is saying that we all, have, we all have needs. Every single person sitting in this room tonight has needs. You've got needs and I've got needs. And then we try to work out what do I need to do to meet my needs? And what we, what we work out, how do I meet needs, comes out of our belief system. What do I believe will meet my needs? Not what I say I believe. But what do I actually believe will meet my needs? And the way you do that is you look at your behaviour. Your behaviour will show you what you truly believe. Not what comes out of your mouth, not what you say in your Bible study group, not what you say on Sunday night over supper. That doesn't count. What counts is your actions will reveal your true belief system because you will act according to what you think will meet your needs. And so people have a belief system. How do I find fulfilment? How do I satisfy myself? What do I believe that looks like? What actions do I take to bring this great quest for fulfilment to be? And then when I attain those goals and I do those things, how does it make me feel? And so am I truly satisfied? Is my philosophy working? Is there a vague sense of emptiness in me? And of course, as we reflect on that, if it's not working, if our fundamental assumptions are incorrect, we can find ourselves in a despair. And then this goes around and it goes around and it goes around. Our needs are then dictated by our belief system. What will meet my needs? What do I believe? That'll be revealed in our actions. And then we get to reflect on that. But I want to say this. Unless our belief system, unless your belief system in mind is framed by Jesus Christ, if we do not believe that he alone is the deepest soul satisfier, we will make the wrong decisions. We will be operating on the wrong pattern. We will have the wrong framework of things uh, in our life. And that's why Jesus said this. If we're talking about soul satisfaction, and we, that's a great question to think about. What are you seeking to satisfy your soul? We have this statement from Jesus, and this is where we get to. This is where we arrive tonight. And this is how to get soul satisfaction. The crowd is talking about a bread. He's just fed them. 
And he's talking about the deeper meaning of, of, of sustenance. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus, he is talking about if you really truly want the deepest soul satisfaction you can possibly have, it's found only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. You can stuff stuff into your life. You can cram things into. You can do kind of experiments and experiences and all those things. But the soul satisfier is Jesus. He is the one that says this. Not if if you try me, you might like. If if you if you come to me, you will never be thirsty. You will be never be hungry. He is the permanent and deep satisfier of the human soul. He alone can satisfy the soul. Then when we follow him, he gives us the framework. So we know that we've got to have soul satisfaction as found in Jesus. Then we think, well, how do I meet my needs? I use Christ's teaching and his example and the Bible as my pattern for life. That's how I'm going to have my needs met. I will follow Jesus. And as I follow Jesus, as I honour him in my everyday choices... I will find that I will have the most satisfied soul I can possibly have, and it's only found in Jesus. If we're not experiencing deep soul satisfaction, it's because we're not following Christ like we should. We're not turning to Jesus. We're turning to substitutes instead of Jesus. And so he says, whoever comes to me, it's an out-and-out statement and a promise. Whoever comes to me, we will never go hungry. If you believe in me, you'll never go thirsty. Verse 37, those who, the fathers who come to me, I'll never drive away. And down in uh, verse 40, and my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him, he will rise up at the last day. So if we want that wellspring, if we want that deep satisfaction that Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he said, you, this water that you're drawing out of here... Uh, is one, but I will give you water that will be like a wellspring in your life. Do you have that wellspring operating in your life? And it's not, friends, it's not, it's not that we, I made a decision for Jesus a few years ago. This is a daily decision where we need to do a few things. We need to go. I like to eat every day. I like to eat a lot during the day sometimes. I think I need to go and do some, do some more exercise. Okay. I like to, who likes to eat every day? Everybody on board with that. Who likes to drink every day? All right. And so we, we need to have this daily reliance on Jesus. We need to be looking to him to have our soul satisfied. Our profound and deepest longings of our heart can only be met in Jesus. So it's not a once a decision. It's every day. What we need to have is a relentless refocusing on Jesus because you'll get distracted. Need a rent, relentless refocusing and a regular renouncing of the false substitutes. I'm not saying the things that I put up there were all bad things. There were grains of truth in that. But they are not the answer for our life's purposes. We need to come to him. Jesus says, come to me, believe in me and look to me. If you want a satisfied soul that is never ending and finds deep and purposeful life, it is about... We need to come to him, we need to believe in him, and we need to look to him. That's how our souls will be satisfied. And the promise of Jesus is this. If you come to me, you will never be thirsty. And you'll be never be hungry. And you'll be satisfied in the deepest part of your soul. Are you experiencing soul satisfaction? 
It's only in Jesus that we will find that sense of satisfaction.